You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni, or Shalom Aprom Kipolevich. Dr. Juni, uh, as the vaccine is rolling out, as the miracle of the vaccine in some ways uh, is starting to affect the world. People are realizing that we can come out of this bubble. Uh, I think what many people are looking forward to specifically is the meeting again of grandparents and grandchildren. Throughout this whole corona pandemic fear, we have been hearing properly that infections that can occur between loving grandchildren and grandparents need to be the thing that we have to be most concerned about. The older population, despite the love, of course, that their family will feel feels for them, are the most vulnerable. So we've been hearing a lot, even Biden in his successful political campaign emphasized how the grandparents are gone, the grandparents can't hug their children, their grandchildren. So this this idea, this motif of the most vulnerable, and especially the tenuousness of this relationship between the grandparent and the grandchild and how it's suffered and how we are begging for it to come back and hoping for it to come back now that we have the vaccine, uh, is it, it, an idea that, as I say, is, is very, very prevalent. And both of us sitting here are grandparents and perhaps... Uh, you're on your way to being a great grandparent soon. And I know we've thought about it. We've actually talked about why this wonderful relationship exists and why it's so, in many ways, different in a positive way than the problems that sometimes arise and always arise from your perspective between parents and children. And, um, so as we enter this phase where there's going to be hopefully a, a renaissance of grandparents once again engaging, not just through Zoom, but actually from being involved, why don't you give us your perspective of that specialty of the grandparent-grandchild relationship and, and why it's, it's so important? Okay. Happy post Purim. All right, let me get on my soapbox. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today has nothing to do with psychoanalysis, which is a little bit of an exception. And it really comes from a different field of study, which actually comes from physics and thermodynamics, but was picked up in um, family psychology at the very beginning when family psychology was launched as a discipline. We're talking about the late 1940s and the early 1950s, and it's called systems theory. What systems theory does is basically <clears throat> it takes a view of people, not as individuals, but as part of a larger whole. So we're going to take the simple one not talking about society and moving into sociology or even anthropology, which is a larger field yet, but we're going to talk about a close-knit group of people that function together as some kind of unit. And what they do is they dress up this unit as an entity of itself. 
Now, it's rather than consisting, let's say, of several different people, each with their own ideas, and then, of course, you have a human interaction, they consider it a unit altogether. So let me give you one wild example, which actually does come from clinical psychology or from psychiatry, and then we'll get back to basics. So, for instance, there's a a feeling that um, when you have a family member who becomes psychiatrically ill, so individually, of course, it's a great calamity because the person suffers, but they say as far as the system is concerned, it's a great binder for the system itself because it lets the whole family unite, so to speak, for this one end, and all differences and major fights and tensions dissipate in view of this major emergency. So they see the negative as something really which is positive for the system as a whole. And they go so far as to say that sometimes the reason for schizophrenia is because you have an unstable family unit and that somehow the system produces then one person almost as a carbon. It's almost irrelevant who it's going to be. It's a sacrifice. It's random as far as systems theory is concerned. They can never predict who it's going to be, but they can say under certain circumstances, one person will turn schizophrenic within the next three months. And then that's supposed to correct the whole system. So in other words, basically what it does is it downplays the role of any individual and his or her own her own needs or motivations and just say, well, it's part of a system, that's what happens. It's almost, let's say, like you get very tired, you get a muscle ache because your metabolism is going. There's no real prediction which one is going to be. Sometimes there's weakness, so they extrapolate that to schizophrenia as well. That somebody has a weak constitution who has some kind of psychological trauma, but even if not, something is going to give, but there's no real sense of saying, well, so what was it that gave? irrelevant. And then what they would do, in fact, in those days, Jay Haley and other big item, they would hospitalize the whole unit and try to work out the dynamics and magically, allegedly, at least the way they doctored their data, schizophrenia got, got cured. Okay, so that's a clinical case example. Let's get back to business. Okay, so we might think that in terms of interpersonal relationships, the main unit of a relationship is two people, right? And that sounds right. So let's say I relate to you, I have certain positives, I have certain negatives, we work it out all together. The real problem of any relationship is dealing with contradictions, dealing with inconsistencies. So for instance, let us say that I have a relationship with Mr. X. Now, can I define the quality of the relationship as phenomenal? No, because there are certain things that are bothering me. And Mr. X certain things he likes about me, certain things he doesn't like about me. So essentially, to maintain that relationship, you have to squelch certain parts of the relationship. Certain aspects have to be buried, ignored, or whatever. Freud would call that, that there's a certain amount of psychological insincerity, or even he would call it unhealth or sickness, because you're suppressing certain things, so the relationship is not genuine. Let us say that I would have a great vent where I can vent part of that ambivalence. Ambivalence is a medical word. Ambivalence means something that gets pulled in two directions. If I can vent one part of the ambivalence away, I can then have a pure relationship with this person, whether positive or negative, but it'll be very genuine. Like, I hate you to the utmost, or I love you to the utmost. Okay? That's not usually possible, except when the vent comes up. And who is the vent? We go to systems theory and introduce a third person. Let us say that I have a relationship with two guys 
who are basically part of the other guy's unit, if I can somehow manage to divert all my positive, great, productive feelings towards one and my negative towards the other, I have a beautiful relationship here. And that kind of relationship, it's not going to move at all because anything positive I shunt over here, anything negative I shunt over there. Of course, it requires an ego that can distort things, but we all are made up that way. We adjust our mode of functioning towards the diet. But I'm really saying over here is that a diet is never stable by definition, assuming that it's a, a real relationship rather than saying I'm going to the store to buy apples. That's a, that's a straight relationship because I don't relate to the apple man in any other way. But if I meet him on the street or if I have a car accident with him or if he happens to be my brother-in-law, it's no longer a straight relationship. So dyad relationship can be simple, but it usually involves complications. Once a third one gets... Pr- a third person comes in, we can then manage somehow theoretically to come up with a triangle instead of a dyad. A triangle is the building block in human relationships according to systems theory. Okay? Now, let us say, okay, tell me, I, I can go... I, no, I no, I know what, look, for this, I understand what, what you're building here. And Linda, I don't know if everybody listening this feels... I, I don't know if anybody listening bridges what I asked you to the last four or five minutes I, that you've been talking. I know you got there and I know, I, I know where not, you're going. I'm not there yet, but let me get there. Okay. okay? I, all right. So, uh, so let's, can, can I just ask you something before you get there? And, and yes. here's my, here's my question. Uh, w- 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 you talk about the efficacy of having the third person, which now you can shunt the negative or vent the negative there. Or, or positive. Or positive. I understand, which which allows the positives to happen within one of the two. And, and person three or object three is where is is the is is the ashba for the negativity. So to speak. And, yeah. Okay. But don't forget. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, why does it have to be a person, doctor? Okay. Why no, why okay. can't it be? Let, let me give you a motion. I, I, and I, I might have talked to you about it so many years ago when one of my children was experiencing a lot of frustration and anger and it was coming out with us. And I don't know if I got your advice. It was definitely someone I was close to and it worked. I would tell you, get a, dog. I would tell you get a dog. No, no. So what we got was a punching bag. What we got, okay. what we got. The dog is even better. It's much more fun to kick a dog than to punch <laughs> a punch. Okay. Okay. Or to hug a dog than to hug a doll. Okay, but but the punching bag, when he was per- when he got upset, he would go downstairs, and he would slam it and smack it and slam it, and he got very good at it, and it, it allowed a lot of the tension and difficulty he was feeling with us to be shunted in some other place. Now, while he was punching, not only did he feel a sense of release, he also perhaps contemplated some of the positivity that he was getting from us, despite his frustrations, despite the difficulty and, and the mismatching. So therefore, he was able to come back to, let's say, one of us. Let's assume me and my wife are one and not two in this situation. So why, did it, why does it have to be another human being? Why can't it be a hobby? Why can't it be a punching bag? Why does it have to be that third aspect? Or we've talked in this uh, forum about husbands and wives, and giving each other space, giving each other hobbies, giving each other places, without the introduction of some third aspect, 
space. Yes, this is where I take my negative stuff out. This allows me to go run and jog and walk and maybe even think negative stuff about you. Then I can come back and and be more positive. Why is it, why why is a human being so essential? Okay, first I have to tell you I want to welcome you into the Drive Theory Club of Sigmund Freud, and basically you picked something up here. Systems theory is beholden to a certain branch of psychology. The name is called object relations. Let's not talk about the name, but basically it talks about human feelings and emotions as not being the basis of all behavior, which is traditional derived theory and Freud, but that interpersonal relationships is the sine qua non building block of, of, of humanity. Okay, so it's a certain twist that says you have to explain everything in terms of relationships, and that's where the stars and systems theory came from. So, in fact, us people are into drive theory and not. That's what my introduction that's not Freudian. Those real Freudians really talk about those kinds of elements, but that gets to be a little bit harder to explain for people who are not in the field. So, yes, we can extrapolate that the other one. If you want to, I can join you up in a private seminar and explain okay. that you but I think I'm talking about a language which is consistent with Freudian theory, but doesn't need to go that far. If we just take human relationships as a building block, which most people intuitively feel that that is the defining aspect of a human rather than just raw emotions, it works out better. But you're absolutely right, and I'm glad that you're on my wavelength. Okay. okay. Well, I, I, guess, I guess the point I was trying to make is I know we're, and I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, you're not going to. I found it because I'm getting into triangulation, which is where the fun is. Yeah, yeah because- okay. Yeah, but my, my point is, is that is that sometimes uh, having another person, like for example, and I, 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 when we talk about a person, oh, well, this is the one I love or this is the one I hate, then you go back to that other party, and you have the, the positivity of that relationship that you that you're that you're talking about. So instead of and again, I, I, it, it presumes that you can't do that without having, you can't like do it in your mind. <laughs> you need to actually have the yes. vent. You, yes. You can't just, like the Bali Musa, we've talked about Salanter. It's not a respectful view of people. It's not a human view. It's a view of people very similar to the way we look at thermostats and heating systems and cooling systems. <laughs> it comes from thermodynamics. It yes. does not come from psychology. Right. It was stolen. My systems right. So it really, okay, right? So it really denies. I think people should know that where you're going here is you're denying the, 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 the if not the possibility, but the great probability that it, it can work by somehow rationalizing and thinking it in your mind. Definitely, and that's that's the Freudian system to begin with, because even object relationships, object relations theory is beholden to Freudian theory. There's no question. In essence, a human is seen as a more sophisticated um, boiler system or animal, if you wish. No more. No more than that. Just with many um, more sophisticated tools to do good and to do harm. But basically, the system is the same. Okay, so let me just get the triangulation out of my mind, and we can talk about the grandparents here. Okay, so basically... The ideal, so we said, a dyadic relationship is problematic because you have ambivalences which don't allow it to go any other way. The ideal building block of relationships is a triangle defined by, defined by, I'm giving you the basic one, is a negative relationship between A and B, let's say, and then the positive relationship of B and C, 
and the positive relationship of, oh boy, okay, let's say A, B, and C. So negative relationship between A and B, a positive relationship between um, B and C, and a positive relationship between C and A. I don't know if you can, a triangle where there's one negative and two positives. Okay, so basically, let's say um, these two people can't stand each other, right? But each of them then likes somebody else. Does that make sense? Or is it two negatives and one positive? I'm trying to think. Uh, two, I'm sorry, two negatives and one positives. The motto is the friend of my friend is a friend, which is not very strong. That means three people together all have positives, which is hard to do because nobody exists like that. The real thing starts off on me. I'm going to shunt all my negatives one way, all my positives the, the other way. And then we can have an other negative in there. So two negatives and one positive is the basic way to do things. Okay, okay. it sounds abstract. And then there's triangles which build on triangles. So that gets complicated. Let's talk about one kind of sheet, okay? Let's talk about um, me and my son. Hypothetical now, okay? So we have, let's say, ambivalences, right? Yeah, so I, let's talk from my perspective. I have ambivalences. There's certain things I really like about my son, certain things I can't stand about my son, right? So what we can do is draw in, triangulate in another person, like a grandson, perhaps, or first of all, perhaps an in-law, right? The new daughter-in-law came in, right? And I can then say, look at this schlock that he got, look at this behemoth that he got, and put all my negative forces over that, which will actually cement my relationship with my son, right? And that will then leave my son in a bad bind because here he has, he likes me, right? He supposedly likes his spouse, but me and my spouse are not getting along. Something is going to shift there. Ideally, which I'm hoping for, but not really, consciously, but unconsciously, is that my son can then turn against his, his spouse. So then we have two negatives, one positive. That is stable. That's phenomenal. Now, of course, that's going to cause some problems between the spousal uh, uh, a couple. So they can draw in somebody else, hopefully their son, right? Or their daughter. And this will replicate itself. It's almost like the corona uh, model of the actual DNA, if you know how that works, it just keeps going. It's, it's, it keeps spreading out. It becomes a cancer in society. So um, let me talk now about the nuts and bolts. When you relate to someone, let's talk about I'm taking care of my daughter, right? I have certain safety concerns, but I wanted to have guts. I can't give her both messages at the same time. I can't tell her, take some risks, but be careful, right? I have to let go of the bicycle that I'm teaching you to drive, but you might fall and break, and, and break something. It's very difficult. If I can kind of say, you know what? I'm going to deal only with the positives, and I have a gabai. I have a gabai. You know what the gabai is? Her parent. Her parent will worry about the safety. I'll worry about giving her chocolate every day, right? She's going to love me. But how is she going to feel about the father or mother keeps saying, oh, no, grandpa brought you chocolates again. He brought you candies again. You can't have them. Oy vey, it's going to be terrible. It doesn't bug me, right? Because I get my positive relationships out. And for once, I don't have to worry about anything negative because the parents are there to pick up the trash, so to speak, that I'm causing over here. That, in the, in the, shall we say, in, the, in an absurd way, defines the positivity of the relationships that we can afford to have 
with one family member if there's somebody else there who is nominally or primarily the caretaker. What that sets up basically in terms of triangles is that you have better relationships when you skip one link of the ancestral chain. So basically I can expect to have a better relationship with my grandfather than with my father. My father can expect to have a better relationship with my son than with me or with my wife than with me, so long as you're trying to angulate something, somebody else. But it basically requires a shift in our thinking to see the triangle as the building block of all human relationships. So this is the abstract structure that I wanted to get to, okay? And that I, think, that, I think, can be a template to explain a lot of what goes on in, uh, shall we say, cross-generational relationships in the family. So now I can deal with, with details if you want to, but this is the perspective I want to come from that I think has the best explanatory power to explain most adjustments and I think almost all maladjustments in family units. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, look, I am I stand um, impressed by uh, the what you have created, and as we both are grandparents, and I'm sure we both do give those chocolates and and treats to our grandchildren, and we understand what that or, is. Or, or undo, I, I think we can also talk about undue compliments or encouraging them to do things which are essentially reckless, and that's all part of candy or chocolate. Right? Yes. We don't yeah. care about the teeth and we don't care about the emotion. We do care, but we know that somebody else is going to take care of it. It's like you can be the rabble rouser in class because you know the teacher is going to come down and clamp it down. He's not going to allow it to be a fire or anything like that. So you can enjoy. You can be what you want to be. Okay. So, but, but let's use, I'm going to uh, adopt, at least in my uh, uh, student mode to you, and, and now ask you this question. So we do have now the dynamic. We have, uh, you know, we can give them names if you want. We can call them, you know, Chaim, Shmiel, and Chatzko if you want, if we want to, right? Or we could call them whatever name, but just so people should understand. So we have Chatzko, the grandfather, Shmiel, the, the son, and Chaim, the grandson. So now we have these three. What is, and, and so you, as you say, there is, there's going to be an innate tension between Shmiel and Chaim, and that's going to, so having Chatzko come in, right, with, let's say, the candy and the compliments, um, as you're saying, it actually, it actually ruin. that doesn't ruin, but it, it, it actually sours and makes it, more. It introduces tension. And, and, and actually, although there's a lot of positivity between Chaim and Chatzko, because they have all these positive things, but there's a lot of negativity between Chaim and Shmiel, the father, and between Chatzkel and Shmiel, right? So yeah. the, only, the as you say, in this triangle, the only positivity is going on between the grandson and the grandparent, right? Yeah, but the middle person is going to wait for the grandson. Right, so, but, but while, but through this, actually, the, the, the middle person is actually hating the, the relationship that, if you're talking about unconscious feelings as well, yeah, most right. of us know how to sanitize ourselves, definitely for others, but even for ourselves to say, nah, yeah, it was a little annoying, but come on, I'm not going to go beat up my daughter because she keeps, you know, no, the other way, my mother is not going to keep 
actually beat me to a pulp because I keep leaving the toilet seat up. Come on, you know. But if you ask her, hey, does it bug you about him? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of insensitive, you know. Okay, but sure, if you're talking in Teich, in Emes, yes, there's a real anger there that you cannot cope with until you find that other person to triangulate him. So, 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 right, so it turns out that Lamaisa, the parent, the the Shmiel, who's the parent, is really actually more upset than Chatzko because of Chatzko's interactions with Chaim, because Chaim's, because that really, in a way, he has now soured even worse the relationship that was anyway bad. Okay, I just want to put in one other note that we're dealing um, abstractly with one triangle. In fact, there are other triangles going on. Right, right. So actually, I wanted to actually... actually, He has a wife. He has a wife. He may have a rabbi. And we have all kinds of triangles. But yes, but within each of those triangles, you'll have the same argument and you'll have to come in with another triangle. It's like a cancer. These triangles never stop reproducing because always there's a negative leg. That's okay. left hand. Right. So really I hope our listeners are keeping up with the schematic over here. Oh. It's quite fun okay. once you know it. Okay, so hopefully one day, you know, we will uh, append to this or to this audio conversation your chart so people should be able to to be tight. Okay, everybody's in the mood if you put in Junie and put in triangulation into any decent server you'll find more than you ever want to read about. Okay, so let, let me let me actually shift things a little bit. How about, you know, we have a Western uh, model where Chatzko lives on 47th Street and only comes to visit East 7th uh, sporadically. Mostly it's Shmuel and Chaim on East 7th, but the grandfather arrives as the Santa Claus figure with the candy and the compliments, etc., if we go with a, a model that is more prevalent uh, in the Orient and other places in India and places where the unit is much more compressed, things that you're familiar with from your sociological and, 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 and investigations, there we might have a situation where despite the biological reality that Chaim is Chatzko's grandson, Chatzko might be still the, the king of the pride, the head lion, and might be the one who uh, interacts, despite the fact that he's not the biological father. And you could really have uh, Shmiel being the, the one who gives the compliments, etc. And the, uh, the animosity and anger could be from the older, like from, from Chatzko to Chaim. According to you, you say you can choose. It can be someone not related. It can be, as you just said, a rabbi. So really, it's not about the grandfather. It's really about having the third person. The gra- in, in societies where the grandfather is sort of, like I said, this alpha dog that, that sort of like has his brood. So he's the tension. There's the tension between grandchild and grandparent. And the father is more the one who can be this positive vent, right? Absolutely. Right? And again, so let me then correct. If I meant to imply that there's a biological determinant here, I didn't, because we can apply the system just as well to friendships. You have one friendship of a dyad, somebody else gets sucked in, especially I know this with adolescent girls. This is my simbacha, they'll come every day, Ive, my best friend is now my worst enemy. And it's not, it's, your best friend doesn't become your non-interested person. They turn into enemies, sure, and, and it's true, what you described about the Orient, 
you can find in traditional Hasidic families where the father is often not the central figure. Sometimes it's the grandmother or the grandfather, and occasionally in certain circles, the Rebbe. The Rebbe becomes, in other words, the father and son are so serf-like or uh, tangential to the Rebbe that they almost equal up in power. So yes, no, it's, it's not the grandfather, the grandson. It's a dyad which triangulates in another individual into the relationship. But yes, it's not necessarily father. Although I'd say stereotypically, I would say in most cases, the most popular case would be father, son, and grandson, with the one who follows very closely its um, parent, um, child, and in-law, daughter-in-law or son-in-law. Okay. Absolutely. The other, according to your perspective, which I'm not, I said I'm acting like a student now, but I, I definitely do not ascribe to it. But the other part, which I think needs to be emphasized, underscored, is that as much as in the classic ideal, oh, go visit the grandparent. We're so happy the grandparent has a relationship with the children. Underneath that, like you say, subconsciously, the parent, and let's say we called Shmiel before, Shmiel is actually feeling a lot of hurt or a lot of anger or something because because what's happening is, is that this is actually a way for the negativity to flower between him and Chaim. Because having Chatzkel in the picture so much, let's say it's every other week, every two weeks, or every Sunday or Shabbos when he comes over, it actually strengthens their bond and 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 and, and, and also cements the negativity between Chaim and Shmiel. And, and, yes. and, and therefore what dealing dealing with over here is a frustration at at being dethroned, so to speak. At this and the important word in, in systems theory is coalition. Coalition doesn't mean two people getting along. It means two people getting along in opposition to a third. So when the coalition forms between so-called the grandfather and grandson, it cannot be formed in a vacuum. It has to be formed, unfortunately, against somebody else who is often the parent in the middle, although sometimes it's a sibling. We have the good sibling and bad sibling. And we basically shunt you're the good guy, you're the bad guy. And sometimes it's so close to arbitrariness that it's ridiculous. And I find this most, I mean, I've done a number of studies now on the successions of Admorim, how they do. And it's interesting that between sons who all look alike, the strimals all look the same, the mantles all look the same, and all of a sudden, one of them is a tzaddik and one of them is Zara Amalek, one of them is a Russian. And if you, if you read all the notices in Meir Sharem, which I'm fond of reading, it's always the guy who was like the, 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 the admiral waiting is the Russian Marusha Mayred uh, Bamalchas. It's, 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 it's fun to see the way the splitting happens. Once the Rebbe goes, we have to come up with a villain and a good guy in order to have a relationship. So, sure. Well, you know, in the world, let's say, let's say of Hasidic politics or, or, or rabbinic courts, um, you know, you do have that shield of Mohammed uh, Shem Shamayim. I think it gets a lot more dicey within a family where, let's say, you know, it, it actually can exacerbate uh, a relationship. In other words, here, here's a child, in this case, let's say uh, Shmuel, who, you know, is, is, it's, not, it's not so terrible, the relationship between him and Chaim. They're, 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 they're somehow managing some things. 
But now the introduction of Chatzko actually causes him more frustration, and he's got frustration on both ends. He's got frustration with Chaim, frustration with 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 Chatzko, and a terrible guilt trip for feeling frustrated about it. Because yes. what what's being what's presented from society is the most beautiful thing in the world. It's Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov together. It's this marvelous thing. And 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 how dare you? As we said, as I started the spiel in the beginning of our episode, this is the moment that we're waiting for Corona to end so we can actually once again embrace our grandparents and bring everyone here together and have the type of respect. According to you, um, you know, that that model is really something that probably causes, although it's it's a method for functioning. The person in the middle is usually suffering because of it. The method for stability for the overall, shall we say, family propagational unit, and it's toxic for any diet. It's toxic for... Let me just tell you something, okay? The most um, common incident for policemen getting killed is getting called in to a family squabble. I can tell you the Arab population, which I know very well over here, uh, I think about 70% of all the murders done in the Arab communities are between close family members, not towards um, Jews, not towards anything else, not towards Christian Arabs, no. It's within the family unit, okay? And basically, that's what happens when you have any relationship that are positives and negatives there. In systems theory, it doubles over to other people, and then you end up like, you said that about my mother, you said that about my wife, and then that turns into into explosive situations. There's no question that when you get into systems theory about triangles, our intuitive notion about a relationship being the building block, a a dyadic relationship, turns out to be totally false. And if anything, that when you push it together, when you push the dyad closer to each other without venting towards thirds, you get horrible fallouts. Now, of course, this is extended to to um, international Inter between nation theory, which I, I I don't want to go to, and I'm not an expert in that, but you you absolutely you got it. Yeah, you so so again, if we assume, and even you, despite you know your sort of uh, deterministic view of the way relationships occur, but you yourself, and we've talked about this in different episodes, there is a certain freedom limited in your perspective that this knowledge can give you, and and, and there is a way. Even I would assume, Sam, that you would say that you can um, blunt some of that frustration by, like you said, well, I'm going to wait for my grandson. Like that's what that's that that's what our and, and our dynamic, um, you know, um, uh, you know, Shmiel is going to wait for. Um, um, I, I gave him his name. I forgot what it what is. Uh, oh, 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 what, what was the name? Ozer? Yeah. Anyway. I am okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. But okay. But w- w- give me, give me Chaim's kid for a sec- for a second, so I can uh, come to that name. Yankel. Yankel. Okay. You you. For people that didn't know that I didn't take these names straight out of the air. So let's say so. Shmuel will wait for Yankel. In other words, and Shmuel can intellectually say, "Look, me and Chaim are going to have this, and I I can live with it, and that's part of the dynamic. That's part of the dyad." That's part of thermodynamics, and I understand that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna settle myself by that knowledge, 
and eventually I'm going to be part of a of of, of, of that triangle, and that's the way it's going to work. But I'm not okay. going to I'm not going to let myself get farkocht. I'm not going to let myself become like one of the people that you're talking about in 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 in, in, in the police blotter. I'm not going to let it erupt. I'm going to mentally understand this is the way this, uh, uh, relationships work. I'm going to settle be- myself. I need to throw in three points before you lose it. First of all, I was happy enough before then because Chaim got himself a spouse whose name is Yenta. Uh-huh. And Yenta was just this phenomenal person and I was able to relate to Yenta and then leave Chaim at the wayside. Second of all, there are other ways to do this using other kinds of modalities, so to speak. For instance, nobody's going to take away my clinical expertise. So there's no question with all of these issues going on, when it comes to clinical expertise, or if somebody ends up being hospitalized in the family, or somebody needs some kind of medication, there's no question it's reversed again. The relationship is there. And third of all, this is very important, whoever does this consciously is a psychiatric patient. Nobody says, I'm going to just take my negative stuff towards my father, and I'm going to shunt it onto my son. That's very disturbed. Nobody does this consciously. The Culprit here is something called the ego, which means in Latin, the I, and it means something is managing unconsciously. Just like a, a, a boiler system doesn't sit and think and say, Oy vey, those guys are getting too hot, I'm going to turn off. That's not what happens. So there's an unconscious mechanism, the guy who set up the boiler system, set it up with that in mind, but now it's functioning as a mode that nobody's thinking about. And in fact, the boiler doesn't even know how to think. Human beings know how to think, but the assumption is that the dynamics that are going on are going on without their um, explicit knowledge. That has to be very important. I hope nobody goes ahead and says, well, I don't like this. I'm going to shunt my feelings. That that guy's the best. Which is really, as I've spoken, I've said in previous episodes, you know, runs counter to the Musser and and other, and Ishbitz and other things that I've been talking about, which is coming, you know, the illumination of the knowledge of what's going on is really what you have to function with. You're actually saying you should sublimate that and actually keep it under the surface, because otherwise you'll become a psychotic person. Indeed, no question, no question. Uh, Let me follow up on something you just said, which I think is fascinating, which is that despite, you know, the sort of like not feel good moments that's going to happen between, let's say, Chaim and and Shmuel, but once uh, Shmuel is the, let's say, the plumber of the house or the poisek of the house or the one or the doctor of the house, so that... Or the funder, or the funder, uh the guy with the money. Uh, So that role... Which is some can can ameliorate the uh, the negativity that can actually blunt those feelings because that's where that person. Uh, if I can, I can just translate that into systems systems theory, you can superimpose different triangles on each other, and the vectors of the valences, the pluses and the minuses, change based on which triangle it is. So you won't get rid of the triangle, but in one it'll be A and B against C. And the other one will be C and uh, A against B. In other words, the triangles get superimposed. So in total, you have a very beautiful system. But if you look at any element, 
everyone has its problems. It's so, almost so, like so. So when you become when problems, when you become the funder, for example, again, just walk me through it. So even though normally there's this negativity between you and Chaim, and and of course Chatzkel is and Chaim have this bond, but now all of a sudden the uh, the tax collector is coming, the bill collector is coming. They're going to take the house away, and and there's not going to be any place for Chatzko to give the candy and the compliments to. And all of a sudden, but because of the research paper, because of the grant that Shmuel gets, because of the money that he's able to bring to the table, he there's now this new aspect where, where Chaim sees him as the man with the cash that now, and that there you have the positive part, right? Or if I can give you something else, let's say Shmuel goes ahead and gets himself a heart attack or goes psychotic, whoa, all the dynamics are going to change. People are going to put aside their differences and they're going to be a whole big happy family until something else explodes. Well, that's what so, you yeah. said. So in other words, now everybody's going to, Shmuel is going to be the binding crisis yep. that's going to bring everyone. Yep, yep. Either the binding negative um, crisis, so to speak, or the binding positive infuser of resources. So and everyone will find in their in their desire to care for Shmuel some sort of so when Chaim who was up until this point before Shmuel's heart attack has sort of had this negative thing because he's had this you know which which his relationship with Chatzko has helped facilitate and grow now that Shmuel lies in the in the in the hospital with a heart attack so when Chaim comes in Chaim can actually be more positive and changing his bedpan and things like that. Right, right, right. Metaphorical. No question. Yeah. No question. But, what, but we can make some predictions about Chaim's relationships with others. Uh, but what but is the, the triangle keeps going? Uh, what is it? What happens to the? What happens to that stored negative memories and stuff that up before the heart attack? Did, did that just dissipate all of a no, sudden? No, no. Finds a new target. We triangle in somebody else, according to this theory. There's no such thing as a diet. There has to be a triangle. You bring them in. You buy it. That's why I say a dog is great. Okay. So- I've, seen, I've seen kids hug dogs. I've seen kids kick dogs. And it's all very beneficial for everybody except for the dog. <laughs> so- Which is why you prefer a bobo doll. Bobo dolls are not as good. They don't uh, hurt. Uh, and they don't enjoy love. Dogs well, do. So, so what could happen, and again, unfortunately, if we take it back to the reality of corona, where the grandparent is ill and the grandparent has become uh, affected and the whole family is now trying to help and be be involved um the negative person as far as right because 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 the corona patient is the one that everybody is trying to help let's get on the ventilator let's do what we can let's stop and let's say to him so the negative person might be uh the one who Right, it could be anybody that, that 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 shows up. Right, it could be some sort of. And usually, usually there's some excuse. There's some excuse as to why to give somebody. But if push comes to shove, anything works. If you can import a negative person into any situation, into any family situation, you're gonna change the dynamics. Okay, but why, why would? And again, I'm just gonna push back here. If if now, again, we changed it from Shmuel's heart attack. We talked about the reality of of in a period where we can visit the person, we can be involved and we can, in a sense, be connected, whether it's through Zoom or actuality. Um, why can't there just be this 
every, like you said before, we're all in crisis mode. We're all trying to do what we can. You're cooking the meals. You're saying the tillim. You're visiting him. You're bringing him his slippers and everybody. So you can have the, the, the central crisis in the middle and everybody else around doing something towards it. Why does the people who are doing, you're saying they still need an outlet? Otherwise, they can't just exude positivity towards the, the, the patient? There is, well, yes. Okay, so let me tell you what the problem is. There's something called glue in the system. And now it's if you set up a system where things interact with each other, but there's no glue holding it together, there will be entropy. I'm sorry I'm talking thermodynamics, but that's what this comes from. It falls apart. You need some kind of glue that holds it together. Glue is, if you think of magnetism, glue is a positive and a negative. Two positives will actually repel each other, but in terms of a systems theory, they just don't keep it together. You need something that has a, a, a drawing power, and the drawing power is usually defined as an official triangle which has two negatives and a positive. If it all gets negative, it'll just flow. If everybody's very nice, everybody's very fine, Eh, so you go your separate ways. What's what keep what's keeping you together? You have to have some kind of central annoyer. I can tell you some central right, annoyer. Right, 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 but in our case, the central annoyer is the is the threat of the Malachamovas taking That's great. All define if we and, and here we get to the psychology of the other. If we all have a common enemy, that's great. That's great because we're all friends because we have the same enemy. So that can be a glue. So that's why illness or a scourge like this can be fine. And I find most helpful in these cases is if you can find some culprit. Oh, it's that group or so-and-so that's perpetuating this. That gives us a way to stick together. So and in yeah, other words, it's not only the concern, let's say, for the corona victim, but let's right. say we discover, as, as we, it did occur in many places in Eric Stroll in America, where someone who was unmasked uh, ended up interacting with grandpa and that's so we can we we can somehow summon just like Orwellian hate moments yeah. against. And that you're person. gonna love Grandpa all the more. And what? Gonna, you're gonna love Grandpa all the more. Right, because you can have that three minute hate against the Schmendrick that, who went that, out with the mask and, and put him into the hospital in the first place. That guy becomes the other, and we become the in group, so to speak. So, which is again a, a very. <laughs> A very depressing uh, sort of description. Not meant to be. This is not meant to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it turns out that if we can't find the culprit, and again, either the culprit is the the Schmendrick that went and unmasked, or the bat from Wuhan, Wuhan, China, that 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 that, that unleashed the the the, uh, the the virus in the first place, or maybe even in a way, uh, doctor. Uh, even just imagining that, as you said before, that that Corona uh, image with the spikes coming out, maybe that itself can be enough for for the family to sort of bond oh. together in terms of. And, and I would say, from a sociological point of view, if you have, let's say, I'm thinking of certain Arab clans that I followed. As soon as the enemy disappears, you can be darn sure that you're going to have fatal events within the clan itself. So long as the usually it's a it's a cousin clan that's there, they're after them. But as soon as the threat disappears for whatever reason, 
you're going to have violence within the clan itself. And now it's a negativity is there, that's part of the glue. And then they'll be split off within the clan. So then you have an in part and an out part of the clan. But it perpetuates itself. That's This is triangle theory. It's a beautiful theory in terms of its elegance. It's very non-beautiful if you are humanistic at all, because it really reduces you to a pawn who is no more sophisticated than a thermostat in a refrigerator. So Yes, yes. yes. And I have to say, although I think I'm coming to understand it and I'm trying to coax it out of you in a greater way, every fiber in my being wants to reject it. And um, I, I just want to throw, and I've, I've mentioned this to you when we weren't recording, and now I understand why you dismissed it so many months ago. Because I, I said, I, I uh, posited to you uh, and the, the idea that a grandparent has a, a, a great sense of well-being by seeing grandchildren, not because this is his chance to have positivity, uh, but rather... The, this is I, his chance to show his kid up to say, I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> Thanks again. That's not what I was going to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I, but I think what you're saying makes sense as well. I want to tell you a, 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 an idea that came to me uh, viewing my grandchildren. And I want to explain it based on, uh, and again, I know your theory explains it as well, but I was suffering from, um, from hypertension. And whenever I would go, and my wife thought it was white coat hypertension, that it was only hypertension that came when I had to go to the doctor's office and have someone with a white coat take my blood pressure. But in general, it, it was it was it was it was it was it was coaxed out or it was developed because of the the scene around me. Whatever the cause was. When I had got my iPhone and I was able to have videos of my grandchildren, I was able to lower my blood pressure 40 or 50 points. Uh, they, you're at 160, 175. One second, please. Let me take this video out. I would look at the video. I say, okay, now nurse so-and-so, try it again. And it would go down to 125, even lower, 130. And I started thinking about it. What was it that gave me this great sense of well-being that I was able to feel? And I, I thought that it had to do with the fact that with our children, we always, and maybe we feel that there's things we haven't done right. There's things that we think we have failed in. There's ways that we believe egotistically that they aren't as good as we wanted them to be, or, or however you put it. Somehow, the idea was that my job in the world is a failure, and I'm not going to make it. A grandchild realizing that that child is going to outlive you, realizing that you have produced something, it's only very biological, but it's there, somehow calms you from this feeling that you are missing. You're able to say whether the grandchild is the most brilliant or beautiful, whatever it is, the grandchild, as you know, represents the, as we say in our bracha of the things that burst from us, there is this sense of menucha, that I can go to my grave, so to speak. 
Hmm. Okay. I, can go, I, I can go to my grave. I am not, let me put it stronger. Normally we fear death and it's not just that life is going to go away. It's that we haven't finished what we were meant to do. It isn't just much. I love life so much that, you know, I love doing podcasting all day and I don't want to go away from the, from talking with Sam Juni every week. Although it is very, it is a pleasure that I have. It's, I feel that I'm a failure. I feel that, that I haven't done my job. I feel that the, the sense of mortality tells me how finite and, and how, how I, 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 I did not accomplish. Now that I see my grandchild, I realize that, yes, and, 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 the, and it's because they're young and because I know that they maybe will stand at my grave one day, but I, I'm okay with that. I, 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 the fear of death, the sense of death hovering over me the, 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 is not there. With my child, I fear death. With my grandchild, I accept death. I accept my mortality. And that is something which calms me and gets my blood pressure down. And that's the reason why I love them. Even though I know I, won't, I will not see their grandchildren. I won't be the great-great-grandfather, but I, 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 go, to the, I go to my reward uh, in a sense of peace and calm. This is something that I thought. Now, I know you thought it was basically a bunch of uh, sentimental uh, hogwash, but why don't you uh, respond to that again? Okay, I want to give you two reactions. First of all, this is the most depressing monologue I've heard uh, for a <laughs> More while. depressing than what you said? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I realize that the theories I'm presenting are only as much valued as their explanatory power. And I have no problem saying it explains a certain percentage, but there are other explanations as well. So in other words, I am not as gung-ho about any particular... I think between all the theories that I'm exposed to, that probably explains almost all the variance in human behavior, but I'm not hooked on anyone in particular. So yes, it was depressing. I don't blame you for it. It also is heartening in a way because it gives you an existential way of existing beyond your very existence, fine. But I just wanted to comment on a certain aspect over here. There's this ridiculous parable around, you know, what has begins with four legs and then goes to two legs and goes to three legs and a human being first crawls and then walks and then uses a walking stick. What I want to say is the following. The reason why the grandparent stage has such an allure in certain aspects is, is because in a sense... We got back our training wheels, which we lost from the olden days. In other words, when you're a little kid, you can go ahead and do what you want to, and you can rest assured that you can't do too much damage because your mom or your nanny or whoever is will come and will say, hey, what are you doing? Don't put your hands in the fire. Don't go screaming on the street. When you get to be an adult, there aren't always people around who will stop you from putting your hand in the fire or walking in front of a Mack truck. Not always there. When you get to be a grandparent, your ability to do harm is curtailed by your children, which means you can go ahead and almost do whatever you want. You can wear the most ridiculous suspenders, make the stupidest jokes, because, you know, after a while, they're saying, okay, that's just grandpa, you know, just ignore him. So that means I can contribute without having to keep looking behind my shoulder because my daughter is watching out to say, hey, let's keep him on a short leash. So I see grandparenthood as getting your training wheels back so you now can ride with more abandon and not worry about, hey, what's going to happen if I lose my balance? I can't. I have training wheels. So that's my perspective of this. So it's infantilizing in a sense, 
but liberating. It gives you more degrees of freedom because you can't do that much harm. Let me also say, I do believe in humanism. I believe in um, um, transcendence of other values. I just think that these points only come in after the basics have been taken care of by basic theory. In other words, all the humanism in the world will never get you out of a nervous breakdown. All the ideals you have and your positive feelings about grandchildren or whatever will never help you if you have anything but functional hypertension. If it's caused by a metabolism problem, you can look at your pictures 40 times. The, the blood pressure, neither the systolic or diastolic, will not drop one number. Okay? So, yeah, and I was, in other words, your latitude or playing field is defined, unfortunately, by basics. And I feel that ideas like ambivalence and triangulations are the bread and butter of functioning. And then, of course, you have a certain latitude. If you want to put it statistically, I would say you have perhaps a 10% latitude given that basic structure, but no more than that. So I'm not scoffing at it. I'm scoffing at, I, I'm de- de- dismissing it relative to these absolute truths and phenomenal explainers of human behavior that I'm coming across with. And sorry for my immodesty. Well, as I said, you know, look, just to, you know, I, I sort of appreciate what you're saying in terms of the child coming back out again and your ability to devolve and to be silly and ridiculous. And somehow in your 60s and 70s, you're able to act like a like a like a toddler or like a little nest, you know, little uh, mischievous, mischievous child. Uh, I, I, I can understand that. But I, I actually feel that there's a way to, to actually age with dignity without the pressure of feeling that you are somehow less. You know, I think many of the reasons why older people demand their dignity and demand young people to take uh, notice of them. And, to, and, and unfortunately, you know, there is so much ageism and there is so much dismissal and marginalization is as... Uh, a, a lack of self-worth, uh, a sense that every young person is somewhat a threat to them. And, and the threat, I think, comes from an, uh, an inherent sense of, uh, of their own negative view of themselves. Um, and therefore, if a grandchild is able, uh, or a whole bevy of grandchildren, is able to calm you in that way, then you can actually come to terms, I think, realistically and honestly with the ceiling that you've reached as a person. And yes, even the infirmities as they come and the, and hopefully the, you won't have to wear the, 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 the adult diapers. But even that, I think, is something which a person can, because, again, I'm just going to repeat what I said, can walk into that scary and sometimes um, disturbing future with a sense of equanimity and understanding of a life well done. I know, again, I don't know if you want to call this sappy humanism, but, you know, to me, it was something that I, I, I think it is a tool. I think perhaps your tool is something which people can use. I'm throwing mine out there for, uh, for people as well. And maybe that's something that they can latch onto and feel better about. So let's hope, uh, Dr. J, that we do enjoy our triangulations, our interconnectivity, and, and, and we will enter a period where we can um, stir the pot up much more than it had been or 
in, in the old-fashioned ways uh, when it comes to this intergenerational soup. So thanks a lot, Dr. J, for, for, for your input and understanding. We'll see you guys, everybody, hopefully next time. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 